All right, take your Bibles and make your way to Psalm 37 this morning. The 37th Psalm, that's in book one. Remember, anyone remember last week how many books there are in the book of Psalms? That's right, Tom, there's five. And then there's a two-chapter introduction and a five-chapter conclusion. The conclusions are really neat because it's all about praising the Lord. We've gone through the whole thing, and it's all about praising God. Now, you remember in that first book, the first of the five sections, I'll call them sections of Psalms, the way they ordered them. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of songs of psalms of lament or of sorrow or of frustration, and this is this one is kind of a conglomeration of of psalm of sorrow and a psalm of instruction. And um, I've just entitled this teaching through this first few verses, uh, the path to peace. So Psalm 37 is written by David. And we know from verse 25, if you're already there, you can look ahead to verse 25, that David is old when he writes this. So he's, he's lived most of his life by this point. So this is an old, old wise man's reflection on what he's seen during his lifetime. And how many of you know that our elders have a lot to teach us? How many of you know that you don't really know anything until you've had some years under your belt? Right? Um, you know who I go to when I'm stuck? Or I'm involved in something I can't see the way out? I go, Jim Williams. You're exactly right, Carolyn. I go right down this street, the Jim Williams house on South Confederate, and I get some perspective that I don't have because he's way further down the road than I am. So David's older, and he addresses a problem that has plagued the people of God since the dawn of time. And you know what that problem is? Why? Yeah. Why is it that the wicked are doing great while the righteous are suffering? Why is it that the world seems to, not only are they getting by with their rebellion against God, it, it, it can we just be honest in here this morning? It kind of looks like God is blessing them for their rebellion. And here we are trying to do the right thing and nothing's going right. Anybody ever felt that way? Be honest. Anyone ever looked at, looked at, looked at this wicked world and wicked people and said, they're getting away with it. They're getting away with it. And here I am, I'm trying to do the right thing and everything's going wrong. That's a big problem. He also addresses this Problem in Psalm 73, which, which one of us is going to preach through that. That's a favorite of mine. Same problem. Also in chapter 49. So jot those down and you'll uh, go look at them. You'll see their companion psalms. Isn't that also the theme of the book of Job? Yeah. Isn't that Job's problem? You know, Job is the oldest book. It's the very first book of the Bible ever written. Um, yeah, so Job had the same problem. And yet, we're told by this wise, aged king not to worry when we see the wicked prosper. But David does us a solid here because he tells us how we're supposed to deal with this problem. Like, he gives us some really specifics that are, that are just... Um, super practical. How many of you like practical advice that works? I do too. And David's going to give us some here. 
In verses 3 to 8, the psalmist gives us an alternative to worry. And there's some simple steps offered here that if we follow them, they will help us find peace even during the most trying times of our life. How many of us can use a dose of that today? So let's just jump in. You have an outline in front of you today. Here's, here's the first point. It comes up in verse 3. It is simply this. Control your walk. Control your walk. Now let me go back to verse 1 and read this. Here's how he starts it off. He's going to introduce a theme. Do not fret. What's that word fret mean? doesn't mean fret on a guitar. It means worry. Do not fret because of who, church? Evildoers. Nor the envious of the workers of iniquity. You think David understands the stuff we're going through? You betcha. And here's why. Because they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. So David introduces our problem, our issue this morning. And that is we look at the world and we're like, they seem to be doing great. Maybe I'm on the wrong side of this thing. And what David's saying is don't let your eyes deceive you. Because God's going to have the last word. And he says, here's why, here's why you don't need to worry. This world is all they got. Evildoers, wicked men and women, the only heaven they're going to ever experience is what they get here on this earth. For you and I, this earth is the only hell we're going to experience. Amen. This is it. And I don't care how bad it gets for you. You could be Jim and Norma Williams this morning having buried your final son yesterday, 16 years earlier burying your firstborn, yesterday burying your secondborn son, and you have no more kids. That's a dark valley. But that's the only hell those people are going to experience because after this is heaven. It's the presence of God. And we can encourage each other with this truth. So he says here we need to control the way that we walk. In verse number 3, look what he says. Here's, here's the path to peace. Number 1, trust in the Lord and do what, church? Good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. The emphasis of this verse is for the believer to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. And when this is accomplished, the result will be the Lord's smile on that life. How many of us live for the smile of God? So let me show you the command here first. That's the first thing is the command. And uh, the psalmist issues a twofold command in this verse. And you can see the first one there in, in verse number three. So, so we're looking at, we're getting all worked up because wicked people seem to be prospering. And we're forgetting that this is the only heaven they're going to get. And he says, here's the first step to the path of peace. Trust in the Lord. Trust God. Walk, that is, in other words, he's saying walk by faith and not by what, church? Sight. Don't believe what you see. Instead, see what you believe. Your, how many of you know your physical eye is going to get you into trouble? 
Hmm? You see the wicked prospering. You see the country going in a direction that we know is against God's word. And we cry out with Habakkuk, Really, God, how long am I going to tell you about everything that's wrong down here and you're not going to do anything? Well, be careful because God had a plan and it was not Habakkuk's plan. Right? And I think we've done that for years. But we got to trust the Lord. we got to see with eyes of faith that God's got a plan and that the wicked are not going to prosper forever. we got to trust Him. When everything looks like it's going totally wrong, listen to me, God is still working in our lives for our good, which is His glory. Amen? Amen. God is always at work. Romans 8, 28. Right? And we know... That how many things? All things work together for good to them who love God and are the call, that's a class of people, according to His purpose. That does not say that all things are good. God, it says that God takes all things and works them together for good. How many of you know you can't create a beautiful work of art with some dark, without some dark colors? That word works together is the Greek word synergeo, which we get synergy from. It's to take the dark and the light, take all the negative and the positive, all this thing in our lifetime, and God is forming and shaping that towards something that will ultimately He will be able to call good. we got to live by faith. That's what Romans 1.17 says, the just shall live by faith. In other words, we got to trust God that He sees. How many of you ever felt like God's blind? Be honest. You ever felt like, God, God are you seeing this? Yeah. Are you seeing this, God? Live by faith. Trust Him. God moves when people trust Him. Because it's in these dark times that Satan comes to us. And if we're not careful... Will fall to this, has God truly said? In other words, is God really that good? We begin to doubt the goodness of God when life hurts. Am I telling the truth? Amen. I remember one time I've told you this story before, but it fits so well. I'm gonna tell it again. Um, I was going. We were going through a really particularly hard season here at church, and some things were happening that just weren't right, and there were some adversarial relationships that were getting worse. Some people that got sideways. I mean, it was hard. Miss Reba, you remember those days, don't you, with your husband? Some hard days being a pastor, shepherding a bunch of sheep that are biting each other. And then they turn around and bite you. I was hurting. I was ready to chuck it all in. And I remember going home and sitting on the front porch with Elizabeth, and I was so mad. I was so mad. Because I thought the injustice of it all. After, here, here was my thinking. After all I've done for these people. Y'all ever said that? Anybody got teenagers? Have y'all ever said that? After all I've done. Amen. You know, my mother used to tell us, you sniveling little snake in the grass. We knew she was mad when she the sniveling snake in the grass came out. You know. She said, if birth control was retroactive, you wouldn't be here. I didn't know what retroactive was, so I went upstairs and looked it up in the dictionary. Then I got offended. <laughs> right? Isn't that how we feel sometimes? 
And I told her, I said, baby, I'm going through this whole thing, and here's the reality. I just feel like, I feel like God is just crushing me. I, I wasn't just, see, if you're not careful, you won't just get mad with people. You'll get mad with God. Anybody here bold enough to say you've been mad with God? I have. And I was getting bitter towards God. I said, I just feel like God's crushing me. And I'll never forget. She looked at me and she said, well, then, honey, lay down and get it over with. If God's crushing you, you need it. And it's, it's for your good. By the way, she's the only person that can talk to me like that and get away with it. So don't you all even try that. That helped, that helped me so much. At first, I was a little bit shocked. It was like a slap in the face. But then the more I got to thinking about it, what she was telling me is live by faith. Stop. You cannot go through this with your human eyes. You got to get your eyes off of these people and know that if God's crushing you, it's exactly what you need. And I learned a lesson during that season, Jay, and you've, you've learned this lesson many times too in your ministry. Before God can mightily use a man, he wounds him deeply because it keeps us humble. And it teaches us to trust him when trust does not make sense. Trust in the Lord. But then, a, then the, the other part of that command, the second part, is trust in the Lord and do what, church? Do good. So, so you need to go out and bear some fruit of that faith. And that's in the doing good. In other words, when you see those people who are opposing you, instead of cursing them, you go out and you bless them. You love them. You pray for God to bless those who have wounded you deeply. You do good. This is a command of holy living. How many of you know that some of the easiest times to take a flesh trip and go, go down a path of sin for a while is when you get disillusioned with what you think God should be doing and is not. When you get your eyes on the prosperity of the wicked, it's an easy time to get discouraged and, and go running away from the Lord on a, I call it a flesh trip. And, and, and David says, don't do it. Don't you do it. Trust God. And while you're trusting God, prove it by doing good works. <laughs> Amen. That God prepared in advance for you to do. That, that, look, look, when, when we see the world doing really well and while they're rebelling against God, that's the time to press into good works, not run away from them and join the world. Amen? That's what he's saying here. Do good. Trust the Lord and then do good. And here's the comfort. So this thing, David, kind of, this thing kind of flows with a command and a comfort after each step here. Here's the comfort. When we do his will, God takes care of us. And that's not the prosperity gospel. It's just the gospel. When we do God's will, he's pleased with us and he gives us what we need. He takes care of his own. David was an old man at this time, and he, he had seen the Lord allow him to sit on his enemy's thrones. He saw God come through time and time again. And the whole point here is this. If you will walk with your faith in God and will live your life to please him, God will commit himself to taking care of you. Philippians 4.19. Anyone remember this verse? And my God shall supply how many of your needs, church? All of them. 
according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God's got you covered. Trust him and keep doing the right thing. I had a gal that worked for me for a while in Florida, and she had this saying. Her name was Barbara. And she would have this saying. She said, well, well, Paul, I don't, know, I don't know what's down the road, but all I know to do is the next right thing. And I, and I love that. I, I, I totally made that a part of my thinking. Lord, I don't know where this thing is going, but I know that all I got to do is the next right thing and trust you that you're going to take, take me down that next path. Amen? And that's the comfort of it. God's going to take care of us. Well, here's the next one. Point number two is in verse number four, is you got to condition your will. Condition your will. Look at verse number four. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now that word delight literally means to take exquisite joy and delight in the Lord. How many of you know that when life goes south, we tend to focus on the problem and we lose focus of God? How does that lead, how does that work out for you? It leads you disillusioned, depressed, sad, and all of a sudden all you can see is the negative. I, I, I got one particular child and I won't mention them by name because we got this deal in our house. If I mention their name in a sermon, I owe them a dollar and I'm flat broke. These kids are going to go to college on me talking about them in my sermons. But I got one child that this child, all this child has to do is think about something sad. And they start downhill and they can't get out of it. How many of you know you can think yourself into a depression? We can look at the problems or we can look at God, but you can't look at both. But if we can focus on who God is. And what he's done. We will learn to delight in him. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us. With, listen to this. With every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places in Christ. What? What, do you, what, have, what has he blessed us with? How many of the spiritual blessings? Every single one. I got them all in the heavenlies in Christ. What? Meditate on that. I was reading this week, uh, Wes, in uh, uh, Spurgeon's Treasury. Is it Treasury of David? Is that what it's called? Um, the Puritans used to have this practice. They, they, they developed a practice of meditation. And they did it with everyday objects. So like one of the examples is after their time, they would get up early in the morning and spend time with the Lord. And like, for example, the Puritan would get up and he would head off to work. And as he came to the door of his house, he would see that door. And the whole day, the spirit would prompt him. And the whole day he meditated on the door. Jesus said, I am the door. 
doors either bar entrance or allow entrance. He would spend a whole day saying, God, thank you that the gates of heaven are open to me because of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And the entire day, this Puritan, as he worked hard with his hands, would be meditating on what doors are and what God does with doors, that Jesus is the door, that the door, the gate to heaven is open because of the blood of the crucified, risen, and ascended son. And by the end of that day, that man's perspective moved from earth to heaven. Amen. 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 This is what it means to delight yourself in the Lord. What a, what a beautiful thing this is. This delight. And that's the command. Make him your highest degree of pleasure. One of the things that we saw at camp this week, it's, it's a funny thing. Those of us that have done it long enough, we kind of know. We have a saying. The first, day, the first couple of days are rough. Um, but we have a saying. There's a group of men, and we get together at 7 a.m. just to pray before the camp day starts, before the bell rings, and we wake these little heathens up. And there's a saying in our group, and it's this, Wednesday's coming. And the reason we say we had a new guy join us uh, God just kind of dropped them in our lap. It's, I wish I had time to tell that story. I don't. But total foreigner to the Camp Eunice culture. And, and he's, this young man is sitting at our table. And, and we started saying, because we're talking about the, you know, how much trouble we had with the kids last night and the fights that were going on. And, and uh, we had a whole group. I asked the kids on Sunday night, how many of you have never been to camp before? And three-quarters of them raised their hand. Never been to a uh, Christian camp. And come to find out, we had a group, we have a pastor that works in the projects, and he, brought, he calls them his motel kids. And he brought a group of kids who literally, their mom, they don't have any daddies, but their mamas are prostitutes, and they live in the, in the worst motels in South Atlanta. Drug-infested, the light, these kids lucky to get a meal a day. And there was a whole bunch of these motel kids there and it's like how do we ever and they were naughty and they were mean these were tough kids because they had to be just to make it right and uh, so we had this saying wednesday's coming and the young man said what is what's what's wednesday's coming mean we say wednesday's when god moves because it takes sunday monday and tuesday to break the influence of the enemy and the culture from these kids because you know they don't have cell phones there's no video games, and we're, they're spending the entire day praising Jesus and, and being in his word and being around adults who are loving them with the love of Christ. And by Wednesday, their hearts are soft and God moves. And sure enough, on Wednesday, over 20 children put their faith in Jesus Christ. And if you want to see something, bless your heart. You go look on uh, my Facebook page. I taught them the doxology. And every chapel, at the end of chapel, we sang the doxology. And so these kids memorized it, and they learned to love it as they learned to love and appreciate God. And we closed out our last chapel on Friday morning. And I said, here's what I, we're going to do the doxology. And they got all excited. I said, but here's what I want us to all make a circle around this. And chapel's about twice the size of this room, maybe. There's about 80 people in it. We all made a big circle and joined hands. And I got my phone out, and I video recorded those kids and the counselors singing the doxology. 
go watch it. It's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever hear. Why? These children learned to make God their delight. And one of our pastors said to the kids, what may, why is camp so amazing? I'll tell you why. He said, you've invested a good chunk of your day in reading God's word, talking with God, learning to pray, talking with other people about God and praising God through song. You have learned to make God your delight. You've learned to enjoy God here. Now take that home. And that's what David says here. Delight yourself in the Lord. You know how that happens? Just spend time with him. Spend time with him. Get in his word to the point that it gets into you. And that might not mean a cursatory reading. You might have to be like the Puritan and meditate on him all day long. One of the things that was new to me this year at camp, I don't know if they do this in a teen camp, but with the little kids, they gather all the kids at 8.30 after breakfast in the chapel and they have this beautiful instrumental hymn music in the background and they teach the kids to meditate on the Lord and His Word. And one of the practices I caught one morning, it just blessed my heart, they did the alphabet. And they said, let's start with A. Someone tell me, you know, what is God that starts with the letter A? And they would go all the way on through. And I love when they got to X. I'm thinking, well, X is coming. They got nothing. And this kid said, X-ray. God sees all the way in you and through you. I'm like, word right there. Thank you, Lord. I mean, we went through the whole alphabet talking about the characteristics and attributes of God. And I'm telling you what, God met with us. It was beautiful. What, why, does, why is camp so special? Because literally the whole time we're, we're, we're learning, we're spending time with God. And, and, and when you spend time, you delight in Him. That's why we have our Bible reading challenge. We got to get in the Word until it gets into us. Amen. We got to learn to meditate on His Word. Amen? Amen. Memory? The joy of the Lord. That's it. That's what gives us is the joy of the Lord. But you don't get that joy if you don't hang out with Him. If you don't focus on Him. Make Him your delight, your highest degree of joy. The, he is what we look forward to. What's the comfort in that? That's the command. Where's the comfort? Comfort is this. When you do that, you get lost in Him. You just get lost in the Lord. So much so, you don't know where He starts or where you end. And when that happens, our will and our desires will become His. Amen? Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you new Desires. He'll give you his desires. Amen. Right? You, look, the more you fellowship with God, the more you meditate on the Lord, but the more you realize, I don't deserve any of this, and yet I got all of this. The more, the more you, you, you keep God front and center in your thinking and in your speaking to him all day long, the more you delight in the Lord. What happens? The things you want change. Because all... Ultimately, you get to the point that all you want is Him, and guess what? He then gives you Himself. He gives you new desires, and then He grants those desires. Does that make sense this morning? That's the comfort. And the reason we never get to the comfort is we never do the command. We want the crown, but we don't want that cross. 
We want the blessings with none of the obedience. And brothers and sisters, God's word says it don't work that way. And that's what David's telling us. You need to condition your will. Here's the next one. You need to commit your way. Look at verses 5 and 6. The word says, commit your way to Jehovah. That's literally that word, Yahweh. Capital L-O-R-N-D. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Now that word commit is interesting. When I say commit, like what's, what's the context, what's the words that come to your mind when you say commit your way to the Lord? Agree? I like that. Huh? Sell out. Give. That's getting closer. Make a promise. The word is interesting in the Hebrew. Hebrew is a, like cuneiform writing. It, it's, it's strokes that make a picture. And this picture is a, is, is a picture of rolling a large object onto a vessel. And literally, this word commit means to roll onto. Roll your way onto the Lord. <laughs> roll your lifestyle onto God. Um, and the idea here is that we are to roll the burdens of our life and the decisions and the difficulties onto the Lord. The Lord has not asked His children to carry the burdens of this life alone. He tells us to bring them to Him. You remember 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on Him because He what? Yeah, and that's something that these little kids, even the little church kids, don't understand. Some of you don't understand it. God doesn't just love you. You ready for this? He likes you. He cares about you. And what matters to you matters to Him. So that's the comfort. The com or excuse me, that's the command. We are, we are commanded to roll our burdens and roll the things that we see that don't look right. These wicked people prosper. We're to roll all of that way onto the Lord. And then we're to trust in Him. And here's the comfort. Those should, those should be up there underneath. Am I wrong? Ooh, I don't know what that is. The comfort is the whole emphasis here is that when we are walking in faith and placing our burdens on the Lord, God's going to take care of us. God's, going to, it's, God's will wins at the end of the day. That's the comfort here. And let me tell you something, friends. I learned this the hard way, Jonathan. God is never hurried by my worry. Amen? My worrying never speeds God up. Sometimes it feels like it slows him down, but I know that's not true either. Because that's something John, Pastor John Barta taught us, that not only is God good all the time, God is on time all the time. Amen? Amen. The problem is, He don't work according to our timetable, so what we got to do is trust Him with His timetable. God is never hurried by our worry. But He does know our hearts, and He cares about us. And he wants us to roll our cares, our disappointments, our discouragements onto him and stay with him 
Trust Him. Don't stop trusting Him. Because He's going to bring it to pass. He says, and, 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 and He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. God's got this thing. We've got to take the long view and not be discouraged. Here's the next one. Step to path to peace. Is in verse 7. Consecrate your weight. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't like this point. I do a lot of things well. Waiting is not one of them. Any of you good waiters out there? I'm the guy that stands in front of the microwave and yells, Hurry up! <laughs> you know? I don't do waiting. Look at verse number 7. Rest in the Lord. Oh, and look at this. Oh, and do what, church? And wait how? Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. We're told in this verse to rest in the Lord and wait for him. Here's another thing. When you think of rest, what comes to mind? Ah, that's exactly right, Mom. Because she, she made me. I'm thinking, take a nap. <laughs> By the way, some of the most spiritual things you can do on a Sunday afternoon is go home and take a nap. Amen. amen. <laughs> Finally got time to say amen. <laughs> yeah, rest, take a nap. What else do you think of when you think of rest? Peace. What, what's that, Dale? Gives you peace. Interesting word. Again, in the Hebrew, um, roughly with these strokes. Now, they say that's what these strokes are. I don't see it, but they did. This, this, is, the, this is the Hebrew word for rest. Put your hand over your mouth. It literally means to be silent. It means to be silent. I really don't do that good. <laughs> I'd rather wait than rest. <laughs> right? Come on. Really? God's saying, I love you. Now shut up. <laughs> God, do you see what's going on here? Yes, I do. Be quiet. Right? That word rest means to be silent. And then we're told not to fret. And that's an interesting word. That word fret literally means to blaze or to get hot or to turn up the heat. Isn't that interesting? Because you know, we think of fret means anxiety. But what does anxiety do to you? If anxiety has its perfect work, what happens? It works you up and you get all hot and bothered, right? He said, and don't fret. Don't get, be quiet. Now notice this thing he tucks in right behind that. And so shut up and don't get hot. Because what happens when we shut our mouth? It all stays inside and we what? It, that's right. It bubbles up and bubbles over and bubbles out. Right? And that's where that resting comes in. Trust me. That's why he says in the previous verse, trust me. You've got to consecrate your weight. It carries the idea of getting ourselves worked up into a rage over the condition of the world, over the valleys that we have to walk through. And our, du our duty during the difficult days is, is to live patiently and silently 
while the Lord works out his purposes in our lives. And that's not easy. Anybody good at that? Nope, man. Yeah. We got to trust him. It's not fun. Be quiet. Listen. And don't get all worked up. And it's not like God doesn't give us an example of this. Look at Jesus himself. Jesus is the perfect example of what this looks like. Was the world messed up that he went into? Even in relating to him, it was terrible. But he says in Philippians, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even to death on the cross. When Jesus was abused, mocked, and crucified, he didn't respond. He didn't even react. He endured his afflictions and yielded silence. What does the prophet Isaiah say in Isaiah 53, 7? He was oppressed and was afflicted. Listen to this, church. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Interesting thing when you shear sheep are loud, sheep, sheep will, will cry over anything. And it's called bleeding, not bleeding, like bleating. They will bleat and cry out. But do you know when you pick that, what the shepherds do, they grab them by the scruff of the neck. And they, take, and they pick them up and put a knee out and set that animal right down on its rear end. And something about that position, the lamb literally can't vocalize. It's like it, it, it paralyzes the vocal cords. So when a lamb is being shaved, it's completely silent, has no ability to speak. And that's the picture that Isaiah has given us. Like a lamb who's being sheared is completely silent, so was Jesus. While he was being mocked and abused and literally becoming our sin on that cross. He endured it in a submissive silence to his father. So regardless of the burden that we're called to bear, we got to learn not to whine, but to bear it for the glory of God. You'll never look at that word rest and fret again the same. Wait patiently for him. Waiting's hard. Waiting patiently is really hard. Amen? How do we learn to wait patiently? It all goes back to trusting him. Because God's got this and he's got you. Just wait. Hang in there. Do life with God. Spend, and the more you get discouraged, that's that much more you need to be spending in his presence. And then this last one, it, this is really, I, I really don't like number seven, I, I, uh, number four, I really don't like number five. And this one is conquer your wrath. Conquer your wrath. Look at verse eight. Pretty simple. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. 
Boy, this is not easy, is it? Don't we like to get in righteously indignant over the condition of this world? And we should be. But you know, I had a wise brother in the Lord teach me some time ago. I was railing about, I was a younger man at that time, and I was railing about some injustice, some wickedness in the world. And, and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said to me, he said, do you get that angry over your own sin? You want to get mad, get angry with your own sin, right? And that'll teach you to forsake it. Be more angry with your own sin than you are with the sins of others. Take that log out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly to help your brother get the speck out of his. Conquer that wrath. How do you conquer it? Cease from anger and forsake him. Do not fret. Now we learn that word fret means to get hot, right? To work yourself up into a rage. It only causes harm. How many of you know that's true? When, when's the last time your anger brought about something good? Right? And I say that to my own shame. I think James, the little brother of Jesus, put it this way. So clear. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. In other words, nothing that looks like the right thing is ever going to be the result of your anger. Man, that's a lesson we need to learn, especially in light of the insanity of this world that God has called us not only to live in, but also to evangelize and expand His kingdom in the midst of this darkness. But brothers and sisters, it's darkness and you have the light. The problem is so many of us have put that light under a bushel. We've put a cover over our light. We're secret agents for Jesus, which means we're not. All we got to do is take the cover off the thing and let the light of the Lord Jesus Christ go with us wherever we go, and the light of Christ is going to expel that darkness, or at least expose it, right? And you've got tons of opportunities to tell people about the Lord. Don't get discouraged and conquer that wrath. Save your anger for your own sin. Someone said when you point at somebody and point out their sin, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. Right? Save that anger for yourself. Trust in the Lord. Do, do not fret. It only causes harm. And then the last thing is, here's, here's why we don't have to get all worked up. It's verse 9, and I would encourage you to read the rest of it. Because really, verse 9 down through the end of the chapter is an unpacking of verse 9. Look at verse 9. Here's why you don't got to do that. Because evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Isn't that interesting? Evildoers are going to be cut off, but they that wait on the Lord, they're going to inherit what? The earth? What are we all about? Huh? Thank you. We're all about heaven. What's he say we're going to inherit? You're dismissed. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> there is so much confusion. So much confusion about the next chapter of human history. Which we call heaven. How many of you realize you ain't spending eternity in heaven? 
No. We're going to be spending most of our time on something called the new earth. That's the earth we're going to inherit. And when I say that, it sounds like heresy to you because Christians are woefully ignorant of what's going to happen, what heaven is, and more importantly, what it's not. And what you're going to be doing. You're not going to be sitting around with a heart for all of eternity. I remember at camp, I had this little red-headed boy years ago in my devotional group. And they were asking questions about heaven and what it's going to be like. And I said, well, heaven is going to be like this giant church service that just, you know, it lasts forever. And this little red-headed boy, he, he got this horrified look on his face. He goes, Pastor Paul, I mean, heaven's like church forever. It's like, man, I want my money back. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> right? Oh, it's better than that. We're not going to sit around just doing nothing. God's got stuff for us to do to bring him. God is going to redo it and say, this is what I initially intended. Now go, you get to go live that out. You get to govern and rule and do all this stuff and, 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 and live the way Eden was meant to be with me in my presence. I want to show you what I meant in the first place and that you get to enjoy because of the lamb. Matter of fact, I've, I've talked with some of the brothers here in the church. I, I don't like to do topical preaching. I much prefer to go through sections of Scripture. But I'm seriously thinking about doing a series sometime. Uh, I don't know exactly when, but in the, in the, in the not-too-distant future on heaven. And I put those heaven as quotes because I want, I, I want to do it. I want you guys to really know what you're in for. Um, and it's better than what you think. Amen. So God's will for us now is to stay the course. Stop looking at what's wrong and start looking at what's right. Maybe better says start looking at who's right. And know that this time is temporary. The founder of Camp Eunice was a wonderful man named Pastor John Alds. He went to be with the Lord last year. And John became one of my first pastor friends in Georgia. Um, I went up, I saw an ad in the paper for children's camp, what was it, $55 a week back then? It's not much more now. It's $100 a week for a kid to go to camp for the whole week and feed them that whole time. Anyway, John is much older. He's been in the ministry longer than me. We're going through another bad time. You know, when my preaching, you think it's all been bad times here at the church. It really hasn't. But there's seasons, and it was another one of those really hard seasons. And I drove out to camp just to talk to John. And I got there, and he had a little office. And it, it really, it was a storage shed, but that was his office. And I went in there, and I just, as, I just threw up all over him. I told him all the junk that was going on here, and how frustrated I was, and that, you know, I, I, I could, I could do better in the marketplace, and you know, we, we I got to be nuts for wanting to try to pastor these people. And he let me do that for about 30 minutes. And then he, then he looked at me and he said, is that it? I said, yeah, I think that's it. He said, okay. He says, let me tell you my favorite Bible verse. I'm like, oh, good. He's going to give me some help. And he turns to Matthew. He says, right here. And it came to pass. And he closed the Bible. He said, so will this. Have a good day. <laughs> and I remember driving home thinking, that man's crazy. And yet he's still in ministry. And I knew some of his story. People had done him super dirty in the church. And yet he still loved those very same people. 
and came to pass, so will this. Conquer that anger, that wrath. God's not working through that. I know it sounds crazy, and it's difficult. It sounds like we're just to lay back and let life take us wherever it will. That's not really what he's saying. It's a call to action. The truth is that the commands in these verses actually tell us to do something. They tell us to trust, delight, commit, rest, and cease. God's calling us to take control of ourselves as we yield to him. He's calling us to be involved in the process. And this is the path to peace. David would later say, Great peace, and then love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Stop looking at what's wrong in the world and start looking at what's right between you and God. And you'll be able to soon find yourself rolling over your burdens onto him, taking your yoke upon him, because he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you will find rest to your souls. Some of you are still fighting. You haven't found that rest because you haven't found Jesus. And when you do, the rest will come. Amen? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. Now we're going to sing our closing hymn, which is it's so funny how these hymns got picked out and they, nobody knew what I was preaching on. And every one of them fits. Rock of Ages, that's having a solid foundation, or excuse me, solid rock. That's a solid foundation when nothing around us looks solid. Christ, a sure and steady anchor. God's not moving. This world's a mess. We're solid. We're anchored to Christ. And now one of my favorite songs, He will hold me fast. When I feel my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. God's got this. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth of it. Thank you for the gospel that through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, Lord, we can have uh, forgiveness of all of our sin, past, present, and future. And that when the world begins to look discouraging, and we think that you're not in control and you're not aware, that, Lord, you tell us that, that through Psalm 37, that we can either look at what's wrong with the world or what's right with you. Lord, help us to do that. Take these commands seriously and then enjoy these comforts. And I pray that if one is here who has never bowed their knee to you through your son, Jesus Christ, has not yet said, I'm done with sin and I'm ready to do the rest of my life for my Savior, Jesus, that, Lord, even today, you would call them to faith and repentance and make them your child and that they would know this peace that passes all understanding. We ask in Jesus' name. And don't you let Satan whisper in your ear and tell you otherwise. He saves to the uttermost, and that means you.